after I came out to her and I am just so in, Heather is like a hero to me. I, I am so in awe of her. I'm so madly in love with her, but she did the work. She, I came out to her and, um, you know, we went about our lives and she was out there learning and growing and trying to understand. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the podcast where being labeled a heretic is a good thing. We're starting conversations about God, politics, sexuality, spiritual formation, how we got here, and how to move forward post-evangelicalism. Nothing is off limits in our conversations with scholars, seekers, activists, and writers in our quest to uncover the heart of faith. Welcome to Holy Heretics. Hi, everyone. This is Gary Allen, your host here at Holy Heretics, and I'm excited to continue the conversation today with Natalie Drew about what it means to be transgender and Christian. Now, if you were just jumping into this conversation, let me encourage you to hit the pause button, go back and catch part one of the conversation, because trust me, you're not going to want to miss it. Today, we're looking into the theological implications of what it means to be transgender. When Christians talk about gender, typically the Genesis narratives come to mind. And many evangelicals point toward gender binaries by quoting Genesis 1. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. If you're like me, you grew up hearing these stories as a testimony to the binary nature of gender. But a closer look reveals that's not what these texts are referring to at all. And we know this to be true because gender diversity can be found in nearly every cultural framework throughout recorded history. Traditionally, gender nonconforming individuals were given communal roles as spiritual leaders, healers, and conflict mediators because they transcended the limitations and power structures of gender binaries. In fact, many cultures around the world have specific terms for people that fill gender-variant roles. Examples include two-spirit individuals, meaning one that embodies the masculine and the feminine, which can be found in multiple Native American societies, Or in Hindu culture, the hijras is a blanket term for trans and gendered nonconforming folks. So regardless of what the Republican evangelicals say, you can be both Christian and transgender. And we have a lot to learn about God from transgender individuals and their lived experiences. One simple thing is that God loves diversity and blesses diversity in her good creation, especially when it comes to gender and sexuality things that we have, at least in the West, primarily put into the box of a binary nature. If you're new to this conversation or simply trying to learn more about how to become an ally, I hope this intimate introduction for Natalie equips you with the language and the praxis to come alongside your transgender friends and family in affirming support. So without further ado, let's jump back into the dialogue as Natalie leads us deeper into her journey and how she's transformed her life and faith from one of violence and fundamentalism and self-loathing to one of freedom, peace, and self-care. 
If you're comfortable, um, how did Heather respond and is kind of coming to terms with, I married a man and now I'm married to a woman. How did, how has she handled that? We get the question a lot. Well, does Heather consider herself a lesbian now? (laughs) Um, The way I've put it, it, is she, I don't think she's gay, but she sure ain't straight. (laughs) (laughs) you know it's one of those things where when in the after i came out to her and i am just so in heather is like a hero to me i Mm. i am so in awe of her i'm so madly in love with her but (laughs) she did the work she Mm. i came out to her and um you know we went about our lives and she was out there learning and growing and trying to understand because we both came from traditions where you don't get divorced. This is no, oh, no, right. no. murder. Yes. Divorce. Yeah. No. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, and I even told her, I was like, look, if you want to leave me, I get it. And there yeah. is not a person on this planet who will fault you for it. Your family, <laughs> my family will wrap their arms around you and I will give you whatever you want. But she loves me and mm. she stuck by me and she learned and she grew. And, you know, the, we've had a lot of people reach out to us. Um, you know, it'll typically is it, typically the same pattern. The trans person who's closeted reaches out to me, typically like via DM on Twitter, mm-hmm. yeah. and they'll reach out to me and say, this is who I am. And mm-hmm. my first, the first thing I say is, uh, my, I will always encourage honesty with your spouse. Yeah. It's scary. It is terrifying. And you have to consider that it could cost you everything. Mm. But you owe it to them. Um, you made a commitment to each other. And part of that is to, that expectation of honesty. And Heather struggled early on with resentment because coming out for her, what I in part was saying was, I'm sorry, I have lied to you every day for the mm. first like 15 years of our marriage. Yeah. And... So, but she, she struck, you know, her, with her at first, it was like, I don't want to see it. Don't care what you do when you're not around me. Just, I don't want to see it. I don't want the kids to see it. Then it became, Hey, let's, she planned a weekend. We, we got a hotel in Austin and my first time to ever be Natalie in public was because she was like, hey, let's get a hotel in Austin. We don't know anybody. You're not going to have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. My parents can watch the kids. And let's just go be you for a night. Let's essentially celebrate you. Mm. And, um, you know, of course, I look back at those. I struggle more with my early transition pictures than I do my pre-transition pictures. Mm. And... um. But, you know, she she was just so – she wasn't content with not growing or not understanding. 
And so typically, like when I have a trans person who's closeted reach out to me, you know, I encourage honesty, but I'm like, look, I can't speak to your spouse. Yeah, this could go south quickly. Yeah. And I don't, I don't understand what they're going through. I was like, that said, Heather is there and Mm. your, your spouse is more than welcome to reach out to Heather because she can speak to that experience and that perspective of the partner. And I believe with every couple where the, the cisgender spouse has reached out to Heather for the, I I think all but one, they're thriving, Mm. you know, and because it, it's helpful to have what we didn't have. Heather had a Heather had to drive through this by herself, um, yeah. Because she certainly didn't have anybody in her family that she could really confide in at the po- time, and so now we get this is kind of un. We never planned on it, but it's almost become become kind of a ministry for us. Yeah, where yeah. we get to try to help these people and realize, and it's helped me understand God better. Mm. Um, yeah, can you can you speak to that because that's something that that I'm you know really interested in hearing in terms of um, you can you can be progressive, you can be deconstructing your faith, and yet as a white cisgendered individual, you can still be in the center and there's mm-hmm. just so much of God that you can and can't see because you are still the, the center of the world. Right. Um, yeah. what, what part of, of the divine or the sacred, um, have you been able to see maybe for the first time because of your transition, because you know, you're, you're sort of on the outside looking in not only to your own body, but to culture and society at large. So one of the things that really helped me, um, you know, I, I, it may, I may have first heard the term, uh, from Austin Hartke. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, him. He's a trans man and he wrote a book called transforming uh, the lives uh, of transgender, something about the lives of transgender Christians. And I I believe it was him who um, that's where I learned the term Marism is M E R I S M. Hmm. And it's, it's a, just a literary device that was very common, especially in ancient Near Eastern cultures. And you see it throughout the Genesis uh, creation narrative, myth, whatever. Um, right. People on Twitter freak out. Yeah, when I yeah, use yeah, right. Myth. Totally. But, um, um, and it's, the, it's just a simple literary device that we see, you know, a good example is, you know, where God's like, I am the alpha and the omega. Well, he's not just the alpha and the omega. Hmm. That's not the message is trying to convey that God is just the alpha and omega. He is alpha and omega and everything in between. Hmm. Um, in Genesis, he didn't just create the land and the seas because we know that there's so much more than just 
the land and the seas. We know that there are streams, swamps, marshes, rivers, lakes, creeks, um, all this, all this beauty um, that is the in between. You know, God didn't just create the day and the night. Because right. we have dusk, we have dawn, we have these beautiful in-betweens. So it helped me appreciate the beauty of God's creation so much more. Instead mm-hmm. of seeing, putting it in this very binary box yep. of, well, no, it, it just says that God created man and woman, but what if it just means God created a man and woman and every like the message is he created everything yeah and, and, and everything in between and everything in between and i started to see a beauty in the creation myth that um i think is really the point that the authors were striving for you know mm. i argue this often on twitter i'm like genesis or the Bible in itself is not a science textbook. They would have never. They would have been appalled that yeah. we have used it to describe the creation of the cosmos from a scientific perspective. You know, they, <laughs> they, I think the original authors would look at us like, "You guys are insane." That's never exactly. what we meant. You know, because the ancient Near Eastern authors they wrote differently. Historians back then wrote differently. You know, I, um, I think of, you know, I, in my previous life, I, as I call it, um, I was very into the civil war, Mm. very, and not the, and I was very pro the bad side. (laughs) Right. Um, so Shelby foot, Famous historian. Oh, yeah. oh, totally. Yes. He's got a great voice, by the way. Oh, yeah. So great. He he writes history different than they wrote history 500 years ago. Um, historians today write, you know, ancient 3,000 years ago, they were more in that narrative, like, we're conveying a greater point here. That's why I love to refer to the creation story as a myth, because right. I don't mean it as a myth as in Zeus up on top of Mount Olympus. And I may be confusing Rome and Greek. I don't know, but um, <laughs> it's a myth in that it is taking these like supernatural settings to convey a greater point. And that greater point is that God is the creator of all, especially when you juxtapose it with other ancient Near Eastern creation myths, where those in those neighboring creation stories, um, the universe was created through deadly conflict. Yeah. Through violence, right. Through violence. And this is, and out the the um, Genesis creation story is this outpouring of love, mm-hmm. like it bursts forth and this beauty and it's created all that we see, and I really kind of digging to try to understand the theological implications of being transgender. Mm-hmm. It helped. It opened up all of this. Um, 
world to me and how to understand scripture. Um, and Greg Boyd's been very helpful. And, you know, I, I grew up in a very literalist cult and getting out of that, like, I don't ha- you don't have to um, believe that a donkey was really talking um, <laughs> to really understand what the message is being portrayed there. And so I think that the transitioning and trying to understand um, the theological, the theology behind being a trans woman, it just, it helped, it exposed me to a way of thinking and understanding this, you know, these ancient texts that, you know, I always laugh when people talk about this, the Bible is clear. I'm like, we're talking about 3000 year old um, apocalyptic literature that <laughs> was written, you know, and nothing against them, but by goat farmers. Yeah. You know, right. Um, maybe we're, we're our common approach today is the wrong approach. Mm. And, um, you know, so I think that my transition in trying to understand um, the theology of being a trans woman and being Christian, um, it helped me kind of approach it from a, um, it, it forced me to really start digging. Um, we have a very bad problem, especially in Western society, especially in America, that um, we like our superficial readings. We oh, yeah. don't go digging. Right. And, um, Greg Boyd kind of, you know, he talks about this in Crucifixion of the Warrior God and how, um, you know, when when we read something in the Old Testament and it doesn't look like Jesus, then we have to start peeling away those layers. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, there's layers. Mm-hmm. Like, and you start peeling away those layers and like, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful under here. Mm-hmm. And I, I started to see so much more that that bitterness and resentment I had towards God, um, where I was angry for a long time. Like, why would you make me like this? Mm. You know, um, and that created this wall um, where it it was hard to approach. Um, as hard to approach God is hard to um, really delve into my faith because it always came back to, I'm, I'm struggling with that bitterness and that resentment and this melted it all away. And I'm like, Oh, you know, I, I'm a, I'm an open theist, you know, which is yep, yep. <laughs> going to a Calvinist church. You know, <laughs> wow that that's a tough uh, that's a tough marriage right there. Yeah, and but it has, you know, like I remember my mom really struggles with me being trans, and you know, I remember early on, well, for the first couple of years, she'd be like, I just, I, you know, this assumption that I had to have either been sexually assaulted as a child. Mm. Yeah, like something must have gone wrong for you to choose yeah. this. Yeah, something went wrong, you know. And she was like, "Well, I read something about how, um, you know, medicine that I may have taken when I was pregnant with you." And I was like, "Mom, 
stop looking for the why because um i don't like the thing is we don't know why just Mm. like we don't know why people are born with down syndrome or cleft Mm. palate or any why they're born left-handed they just (laughs) are and Mm. it could have been throughout the course you know like i i told my mom 10,000 years ago, if somebody, one of my ancestors had married somebody else, maybe I turn out differently, but we, we can't pinpoint where, you know, that butterfly effect, we can't Mm -hmm. pinpoint where the butterfly actually fluttered its wing. We just know that there's been a ripple throughout the course of history that has resulted all these generations later with Natalie Drew being a transgender woman. And I'm fine with that. I'm fine with mm-hmm. not knowing what made me transgender because so often the the search for the why is really a search for how can we fix it? Right, right totally. How do we fix it and change it yeah. and control it? You know, and yeah. we have um, two kids and – you know, our son is definitely autistic and, mm. you know, our daughter, she, there are times where like, oh yeah, I see it. You know, you see the mm-hmm. spectrum mm-hmm. coming in and I don't want to fix that. Like, right. Right. Because they're not broken. You know, the, the, to say, to search for a fix is to imply that there's a break to fix. And just because it's because we've got this very we like our normativity and we like dualism i mean we've yes. we've all been trained in dualism and i've i've been pursuing you know buddhist teachings and practices and this notion of we just want simple binary yes or no black or yeah. white gay or straight that's the way the mind wants to work yeah and and the problem is that the world and creation and even God herself himself doesn't fit those patterns because yeah. it's things are too complex. Things yeah. are too mysterious. Things are too fucking beautiful to just be this or that. And yeah. and I, I feel like that's a lot of the, the issues around the transgender conversation or the LGBTQIA plus conversation is we just – don't understand it because we've been trained to go, well, you're either this or you're that. Well, but I, but I ain't. So what are you going to do? You know? And if we don't understand it, it terrifies us. Oh, completely. If it's different or new or out there, hundred percent, I'm terrified of it. And when it terrifies us, you see what I get on Twitter. Um, these, uh, that Theo bro world yeah. where, you know, they, they lash out at like, we're seeing it. So like, I don't even consider Matt Walsh. A, no, what in a, that Theo bro world. He's just a, dis- I'm sorry. He's a disgusting human being. I mean, I, th- there's no other way to describe that. Yes. So. He is a, like, if you're wanting to fix broken Start there. Yes. F- f- physician, heal thyself. Yes. He he 
um, the, the, the evil um, that comes from him, but he, it is an evil that is driven. He, he doesn't want to know. He doesn't, he, you know, he doesn't want to learn. He doesn't want to grow. It scares him. Yeah. Um, and especially people who have power, you know, mm-hmm. this is why you see, especially in America, there's been no more powerful demographic than straight Christian white men. Yeah. hundred percent. And they see that power eroding. Um, when I spoke at the chamber this week, I ended it. I'm talking about creating an inclusive workplace and I'm, I'm talking to people who are business leaders in our community. And I said, according to a Gallup survey, 21% of generation Z identifies as LGBTQ. Mm. You can continue fighting it. (laughs) You're going to lose. And you know, but People like the Matt, the Theo Bros, the Matt Walshes, they will say, well, that's just evidence that it's a social contagion. And I'm like, no, that's just evidence that people are feeling a little bit safer to be honest about who they are. And, but they're so consumed with fear. And I went through um, EMDR therapy. uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done that too. Last year, the year before. And, it's also where I realized that my PTSD wasn't because of Iraq and getting blown up in a truck or um, seeing dead bodies. My PTSD was from my upbringing in the IFB church. And, <laughs> but I, I had this moment of real, like this clarity that my therapist is like, you're okay. You're good. Like this yeah. is what the, the, the light bulb going off above the head moment. Mm. And I was just like, I look at them and I feel nothing but pity mm. because I know what it's like to be consumed with hatred. I used to be that way. I was violent. I was racist. Um, I, I, I was a massage. I mean, I, the sexist things, the anti woman. I was just so consumed with hatred for everything, including myself. And I know how empty and hollow that feels. People mm. like Matt Walsh will claim that they are happy. They, there is yeah, no, he's miserable, right? Absolutely miserable. Yeah. Yeah. And it is so damn sad yeah because you don't have to be that like you know another person i'm just wanting to get blocked by is jk <laughs> rolling oh yeah she's on today saying a bunch of oh. crap and i'm just like you it will one she just strikes me as a narcissist for, for oh, starters yeah. not to mention just a, a just an awful person well somebody asked her on twitter like how basically with how you how shitty you are, how do you sleep? Yeah, how at do you night? sleep at night? I just saw that. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, oh, I just look at my royalty checks. Yeah, I'm like, I, I sleep on a bed of money. Is what yeah. she answered. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're a hoyas. You're awful. And like you look at them and you see that lifelessness in their eyes that I used to have, mm-hmm. and 
it is sad. And there are times I lose my sympathy and I, it gets replaced by anger because I want to lash out. I want to say <laughs> bad things. Um, but I also have to kind of remind myself, um, violence is not just physical violence. Yeah. You know, yep. it's, you know, I get, and I get asked this a lot, you know, when I, when I talk about nonviolence, you know, about, Oh, what, what, what is violence? And it's, it's this, the way I, I take the textbook definition. It's the, it's an act intended to inflict harm on a person. Mm. Mm. And um, I reject the notion that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I think words are more dangerous than physical action because um, you can come over here and punch me in the face and the black eye will go away. Yeah. Um, but you come over here and tell me I'm fat hmm. as somebody who struggled with an eating disorder for 20 years. Yeah, that sticks sticks to your bones. Yep. Oh, it it will eat me away, and but the violence and I have to constantly remind myself: one, I can't be violent with my words. Two, Mm. there is an expectation. Well, I I have voiced this frustration in the past. I, it's weird. The very people who deny my faith also hold me to a higher standard of my faith because if I fire back, they will be like, well, that's just evidence that you're not a Christian. Yep. See, that's why you're weird. Yep. Yeah. And I'm like, but if I don't fire back, they're like, well, you're not a trans people can't be Christians. And um, <laughs> it's just, so I'm constantly having, like I chose my middle name for a reason. My middle mm. name is Grace and it helps mm me as a reminder because I've been shown tremendous grace in my life. I I have always described Heather is evident. You know, I grew up hearing mercy is not getting what you deserve and grace is getting what you don't deserve. And if grace is getting what you don't deserve, then Heather is evidence of God's grace in my life because I don't deserve her. And she has been nothing but good in my life. And that having that constant reminder, I've got to show grace. I've got to show grace because I have to be, you know, and the, the people who, who I love and love me on, so on social media, you know, they'll be like, oh, you know, Natalie, you're, you're always so gracious. And I'm like, well, crap, that's <laughs> I'll delete that draft. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm constantly deleting or writing something and then being like, okay, don't publish yeah. that. <laughs> uh, and and today, it's so hard right now because there are people who they're not just being mean. They're trying to use a inherently violent state to yep. attack and um you know it's it's my biggest problem is creating this massive rift between my parents and i mm-hmm. because i mean i think it was just before, like last year at some point before we moved up here um 
I remember my dad came over to our house and he's like, Trump's the greatest president we've ever had. Oh, that's what my dad says every time I talk to him. I'm like, what planet are you living on? Uh, how can you walk into my house and say that? Yeah, and why do you need? And why do you even need to say it when exactly. you know I completely disagree? Yeah. Like, can we just leave that shit somewhere yeah. else? Like, but no, you got to bring it into my house, and it's unbelievable. It's it's yeah. a. I, I feel like it's a dominator, like. One, they're you yeah. know that they're dot they they're worshiping a dominator person who is an oppressive, violent um, person, and so they feel like that they've got to like embody that themselves or something. I, I don't know. I'm not a I'm not a therapist, but it's <laughs> we would need a whole country of therapists to unravel all that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, we we had an issue uh, one time and, you know, like my daughter was playing in the backyard in the mud. Like she was like, I think 11 at the point right? or 12. She was doing what kids do. She was playing in the mud. We had tile in the house, you know, so uh, my dad comes back in. He's like, she's out there playing in the mud. Okay. Like, right. Thanks. Was like, but I told her not to. I'm like, well, she can. Yeah. And she comes back in and she was obviously upset and like, oh, I'm, you know, and she, I'm like, Abby, you can play in the mud. And, you know, my dad comes back in and she's like, she's going to drag mud all through the house. I'm like, then we'll clean it up. Yeah. And he was just like, well, it's about obedience. And I'm like, hold up. It's about, yeah, it's about you dominating is what yeah. it's about. You know, and that yeah, and that's an area where our embrace of nonviolent, like, um, with nonviolent, like, it has infected every aspect of our lives, including mm -hmm. how we parent. Mm, yes, um, we don't have really rules in our house. We mm -hmm. let our kids say what well, I say. We don't have rules. We have some basics, like. Okay, I don't care if our kids go out and say fuck. Don't <laughs> right. care. Right. Um, I care if they go out and use words, whatever the word is, to demean and degrade other people. Mm. And to me, that's when a word becomes profane, when mm. you're using it to inflict harm on others. Mm. And, but you drop a plate. Like, ah, right. fuck. like I remember we got <laughs> to a car wreck and we were driving down the highway 60 miles an hour. And we, it was shortly after it rained and we hit a slick spot and we start spinning circles at 65, 60 miles an hour. And we go down into the uh, median and we, we, it was one of those, uh, the barriers was like the steel cables and we slam into that mm. and I don't remember hearing anything because I was just focused on like trying to stay, keep the steering wheel straight. And, um, but my wife just heard our son in the backseat going, fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> that is a completely organic and natural reaction. Why would right. that be punishable? And, right. um, but, uh, you know, so we don't, we don't punish our kids. Now they probably feel that we do because for us, when, if they were to fight now, we don't have this issue anymore because 
they don't really fight anymore because I think we've the way we've handled it, like we would just talk to them mm. and we would explain like, here's what your actions, these were your actions. These are what your actions made people feel. Um, and we would sit down and we would talk and we would reason and we would try to grow together with them. And it has been a life changing, um, uh, like, I guess, move for us because we've developed our kids trust us. Yeah. Uh, right. They don't have to worry about how we're going to react. They know worst case scenario, we're going to sit down and talk to them <laughs> and right. the teenagers that comes across sometimes as punishment, but, um, you know, so it's kind of permeated every aspect of our lives. It's why we haven't voted since 2008. Mm. And because we, how it, for, you know, we, we view, um, the, we view the state as inherently, you can't separate the state and violence. Right. And I don't criticize people for voting, but in, philosophically, I look at it, I'm like, if I vote, then I am empowering somebody to commit an act or to use force over my neighbor. Yeah, to do harm. Now, this year is the first time that we're actually probably going to vote. and Because yeah, it's so bad on the other side, you almost have to, right? It is. like I, I, But I acknowledge that it is a violation of my principles. Um, <laughs> but I cannot – I did not escape Texas – only to come up to Michigan and see it become Republican. Right, right. Well, and not only that it becomes Republican, that it becomes fascist and yeah. uh, white supremacist in in every single you know aspect of life. Yeah, and so um, that that embrace of nonviolence, um, it's it's just permeated every aspect of our lives, and you know. Um, yeah, it, it leads to, you know, I know we, we've kind of discussed over email, but um, the, I get the what ifs. Like, mm, there's yeah. always some crazy scenario. and yeah, Right. Someone busts in your house. What are you going to do? And I, I always tell them, I don't know. I, right. Honestly, I don't know. If I walked in and I saw somebody harming my wife and my kids, I don't know how I would react. I would hope I would react with nonviolence. Right. Well, well creative nonviolence, right? That doesn't mean yes. that you just sit there and take it. It means that you confront the attacker and expose them to the harm that they are doing as opposed to believing in the the notion of redemptive violence. Well, so if you are doing harm, I must do harm to you to fix that harm. It's like, what? No, no, that, that, that it doesn't work that way. Yeah. But that's the way the world works, right? Yeah. I, I get that. Like, oh, so you would do nothing. I'm like, absolutely not. Right. I would, like, no matter what I did, I would not do nothing. I just won't. I would hope I won't use violence to mm. violence. I don't want to be in my toolkit of yeah. uh, things I would do. Um, but you know, I, we get these crazy off the wall scenarios and I'm like, 
if I used vial, and this is where I really appreciate the Eastern Orthodox position. Um, Eastern Orthodox is not a pacifist strain or faith stream, whatever you call it. Um, but uh, their perspective is all violence damages and harms. It's, it creates a wound to the soul. Mm. And while sometimes it may be unavoidable, it should never be celebrated. It should mm. never be sanctified. Mm. And you like you because it creates that wound, that more moral wound to the soul. Um, you know, like the, the, the best example that I've seen recently is Kyle Rittenhouse. Yeah, right. And yep, exactly. The most heartbreaking thing, aside from the fact that human beings died, is to see both sides. Um, you know, do I believe that Kyle Rittenhouse is a monster? No, he was a kid. Yeah, he's a completely misinformed kid. Misinformed, made a horribly stupid decision, and he took lives. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I also, he is also no hero and hell no. What that boy needs isn't a lynch mob or a parade. He needs therapy. Yeah. Right. (laughs) He, he needs to address this moral wound that his, that was inflicted upon that he inflicted upon his own soul. Mm. Um, if he wants to heal properly. Um, but he became kind of like this icon to both sides of either hate or um, he, heroism. And I'm like, y'all are both missing the point. Yeah. Um, and like, I, I get guilt. I, I am guilty of that too. You know, mm. I said bad things about uh, um, Derek Chauvin, the right. yeah. uh, cop who killed, you know, um, Especially, you know, when I cops trigger me, um, I have a tendency to say things about them that um, I shouldn't. And I can be, you can be a prophetic voice and still be a Christ like voice. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's where, like, my nonviolence is kind of where I hope it takes me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I call people bigots way too much. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot of bigotry in the damn world. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And um, so, um, so yeah, you know, um, that's kind of where we're at. And, you know, we're at this point where, um, you know, for the first time, I think we're happy. And mm. um, I know my faith is stronger Um I know, like, I am so excited. Our daughter is going to class to prepare to get baptized. I'm so excited. Like, we we have found that comfort, and I I get to, I finally reached that point where um, the people who deny my faith, eh, like, thank goodness I don't value what you have to say. And, <laughs> Because like the, the, I mean, and the, also the good thing is most of those Theo bro guys have blocked me on social media. Yeah, um, right. You know, and so I don't have, to, but, 
But sometimes the ones that haven't, I go looking for it and I know I shouldn't. I know. Sometimes it's like, oh, I just want to just give a zinger to you and I sought you out. What am I doing? You know, yeah. It's like, it's like, um, you know, every now and then I'll be like, what's Matt Walsh up to on Twitter? I'm like, I immediately need a shower and, but, and then I, I fire off a tweet like, you know, um, I I was very proud of myself for this one. It was um, whenever somebody asked me, what is a woman? I'm just going to say somebody that's too old for Matt Walsh. (laughs) And uh, it's, uh, you know, so I lose that Christ likeness, um, you know, but, uh, but yeah, for the, but, and it's, it's always amazed me that when I was angry, when I was violent, when I was racist, when I was not going to church, and I don't think that church attendance is necessary for faith, but when when I was doing none of the, when I was a bad partner to my wife, when I was not faithful, when I was when I was just rotten at my core, nobody ever questioned my faith. But the second I say I am a transgender woman who loves God deeply, um, you would think you know I kicked a puppy off the Grand the side of the Grand Canyon. I mean, it was you know, and it's always kind of surprised me at how much um, people overlooked and how much they will overlook if you sin, quote unquote, sin in the right ways. Right. Yep. Yep. Sin in the ways that we like. Yes. The ways that they sin. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Natalie, this has been, I I have to say, this has been my favorite conversation that I think I've ever had on this podcast. So I thank you so much for just your vulnerability, for your courage, for sharing your story and the connection between your transition and nonviolence and the embodied love that you share Um, for our listeners who maybe this is the first time they've ever met you. Where can they find you and how can they connect to to you and your presence on on online and on social media? Um, so first, thank you so much for having me on here. Um, I, I often get asked what can like, especially from CISHET people, what can we do? You know, you want to be an ally, um, stuff like this platforming people to let, because I believe stories are so powerful and letting us share our stories. It means the world because as I've heard from so many people on Twitter, um, hearing my story, um, and hearing other pe- other people's stories, especially trans people or LGBT and how that has drawn them over to an affirming theology. Mm-hmm. Um, and so thank you for, um, allowing me to share my story here. Um, so to connect with me, um, I, I am on Twitter like 99% of the time. Yeah, you're on there more than I am. So that's yeah. that, that's saying a lot. <laughs> I, I am on there a lot. Um, 
you can uh, I my username or handle or whatever they call it, the kids call it nowadays. It's at Nat Grace seventy nine. So N A T G R A C E seven nine. Um, you can find me on there. Um, I have a blog. I haven't blogged in way too long um, because I'm trying to work on a book proposal that I just can't force myself to do. <laughs> and um, so if you want to connect with me, get on Twitter at NatGray79 um, and shoot, especially especially if you're struggling with your gender identity, my DMs are always open. I am so far behind on those, but I will answer and um, and I love connecting with people. It's, my job is to be a relational person and so I love it. And so, um, yeah, feel free to connect with me and, um, you know, thank you so much again for having me on. Absolutely. This was an incredible conversation. So I'm, I'm, I'm just honored to share this space with you. Thank you. And I, yeah, y'all have a great day or a great night. And um, <laughs> so, yeah, I will yeah. connect with, and I know we will interact on Twitter quite oh, often. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. This episode was produced by the Sophia Society and written by Gary Allen Taylor. Music is by Faith and Foxholes. If you need more resources to guide your spiritual journey, head to sophiasociety.org for articles, resources, and our free ebook on faith deconstruction. And before we go, will you consider joining us on Patreon? Your partnership allows us to continue creating this sacred space for seekers like you. By becoming a patron, you gain early access to each podcast episode, as well as premium content and an exclusive invitation to join our monthly online community. Simply sign up at patreon.com slash holyheretics. See you next time.